Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in situ CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they I felt, felt right. I was so and I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Marianne Wilbur. It was recorded in June 2016 at Oberon in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, so I'm an OBGYN here in Boston. And a big part of what I do, thank you, thank you for that, a uh, big part of what I do is care for pregnant women. But recently I was pregnant with my own first pregnancy, um, and I was an OBGYN at the same time, and um, that lent to some interesting things in this particular story. Um, so my son is now four months, so this was back in November. Um, at the time I was five and a half months pregnant, which in OBGYN terms is 20, I was 26 weeks, five days pregnant. And um, it was, I was still working long shifts of the because I was feeling pretty good. Things were going well. And it was a late night, I think it was like 10 p.m. And this woman comes in, she is 26 weeks, three days pregnant. And just for a, like, if maybe you don't do this all the time, like I do, um, Viability is about 24 weeks. So this is really, really early. Um, so she comes in and she's, she says, I have contractions. I was like, well, you know, it happens, okay. We'll, ch- you know, we'll ch- see what's going on. So I do her exam and she's six centimeters dilated and her cervix is really thinned out. So I have to tell her, I was like, well, it looks like you're going to labor and I think that this baby is probably coming tonight. Um, right around that time, her husband shows up and we have to tell him what's going on. They've had two children before. Both were healthy term babies and did great. And, and this is going to be different. And right away, the questions start. And they say, um, well, you know, what does this, what does this mean? And so it doesn't, you don't mean like the baby's coming. Na- na- you can stop this, right? Um, uh, is the baby going to survive? What can we expect? Uh, you know, just rapid fire questions. And um, so I... You know, each, each one I answer as best I can, one at a time. And the entire time, 
I'm, I have this like inner monologue happening because I am 26 weeks, five days pregnant, and my baby is moving like crazy, probably because I'm like, you know, a little bit of adrenaline, and um, and I'm wearing scrubs, and so it's like hidden. You can't see my bump. And so I'm, and I'm there, I'm like secretly pregnant, and I'm trying not to, it's, this is so not about me, right? So, okay, so we're back, we're like, and I'm, you know, we're answering all the questions, okay, and then they say, okay, so what, what can we expect? And I said, have you ever seen a very premature baby? Most people haven't. And they, they said, no, we haven't. And I said, well, this is going to be different than your first two children. Um, she, they're expecting a girl. Um, so she is going to be very small, obviously, right? And um, the, the fat on babies comes late in the pregnancy, so she's going to be really, really thin, and that's going to make her head look disproportionately large. Her skin is going to be very, very thin, um, so you'll see blood vessels through it. it it'll be kind of shiny looking. Um, her eyelids won't be fused, but they'll almost definitely be closed, and she probably won't open them much, and she probably won't give out a cry when she's first born just to give them like some sense of what's going on. And, and as I'm describing this, I, in the, my little voice in the back of my head is saying, well, this is, you were describing your own fetus. And it was this really strange parallel. And um, so we get her in a room and she progresses really quickly. And a few hours later, she is fully dilated, meaning a baby is coming. And when they're that small and, and uh, labor is happening without you even wanting it to, a woman doesn't even have to push. The baby just is delivered. So she, um, she delivers, and it's not like a preterm delivery like that. Is, it doesn't happen like a full-term healthy infant. So um, really quickly, there's no like, hey, Dad, do you want to cut the cord? You know, there's none of that. I just... I, cut the, I clamped the cord real quick and cut it, and I hand the uh, now infant to the pediatricians because they have to do a lot of things. And so they wrap her up in this plastic blanket that's going to protect her because she's really not ready for the outside, and it's going to keep her from losing a lot of um, heat and moisture and from her skin. And they intubate her, and they have to help her breathe, and it, you know it's difficult. Um, and the entire time, I'm, I, you know, I've delivered lots of preterm infants, but this one was different, right? Because there's a secret fetus inside of me that is still moving all the time, and um, and so I'm, you know, sort of watching more than I usually do, watching what the pediatricians are doing, and watching mom and dad watch what the pediatricians are doing, and trying to talk to them, and um, and then, well, and then she hemorrhaged, and really brought me right back and focused on what I needed to be focusing on. So we took care of that. And by the time I was finished handling her postpartum hemorrhage, um, they had gotten um, their little girl into an incubator. And so she's in this like clear acrylic plastic incubator with the light. And you know, mom says, um, can I hold her? And the pediatrician say, I'm sorry, you know, she's just a little too delicate right now. I think that she's better if she's in this, in the box, in the, in the incubator. And, um, and my patient, is, it was just devastating the way she reached, she reached out and she stroked the side of the incubator like as if it were the baby. And I was like, oh God, I can't handle this. Uh, and it was really, it was like really touching. And then the pediatricians take this baby away. 
and I sit with the patients and, and I'm with my patient and her husband and we're, you know, we do like a little almost debriefing, right? Because that was a really difficult delivery. And, um, and she does well. And my shift ends. And I, um, you know, kept working throughout the rest of my pregnancy. And so every once in a while, especially if there was a lull later at night, I would go to the NICU and visit this little girl because she's sort of special, you know, to me. Um, having been born right along the same gestational age that I was on the day she was born, and I sort of watched her development, and sort of each time I'm visiting her, it's like I'm visiting my own baby in terms of development, because I'm like watching her finish her fetal development on the outside, and it was really sort of fascinating, and then I, but, and then I feel guilty, because I, I don't visit every preterm infant I've ever delivered at the NICU, you know, she's special, but she's special because this is something about me, and yeah, I, I feel bad about that, and there's a lot of like survivor guilt, and I, like, you know, how come, how come I get to carry the term, and you know, so there was a lot of those kinds of emotions happening, and then um, I worked up right towards the end, like I think four days until uh, four days before I delivered, and on my last shift or one of the last shifts, really late in my pregnancy, I was at the NICU visiting this little girl, you know, later, later at night, in the evening at least, and, um, and the mom comes to visit, and I haven't seen her since, you know, since she went home months ago, and by now there's no hiding, right? I am like out to here pregnant, and, and you know, she recognizes me right away, and um, she's like, oh, it's, you know, it's so great to see you, I never got to thank you, and it was, she was really so lovely, and then she's, you're expecting, when are you due? And without even thinking, because, you know, how many, you get that question all the time when you're pregnant. I was like, oh, I'm due February 8th. And she goes, well, that's, that's when she was due. She was due February 6th. And there was just this, like, long pause. And she never said anything about it, because, I mean, I guess, what do you say? And, um, and she was super sweet. And she, she said thank you again. Thank you for taking good, such good care of us. And, um, but it, it, this whole experience really forced me to reflect a little bit on what I do, because um, I'm a physician, right? And so it's kind of bizarre. Like I'm, I'm charged with caring for humans, but I'm a human. <laughs> and sometimes being human sort of creeps back in, but I'm supposed to not be human, right? I'm, I'm not human, I'm, I'm caring for humans. <laughs> Um, I gotta, I gotta put that away because this isn't about me. Um, but it, it happens, and I finally, over time, just realized that I'm just gonna forgive myself for that, because I guess in the end, who, who would want a physician wasn't human anyway? That was Marianne Wilbur. Marianne is currently an editorial fellow at the New England Journal of Medicine and a practicing OBGYN. Her areas of interest include women's health issues and health outcome disparities. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Oberon for hosting the show and to humans for being human and all the things. Thanks for listening.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.